Well, we've been in 1 John uh, the last couple of weeks, and uh, we're on chapter 4 today. We've called this 1 John, then me. And uh, I want you to know from the beginning today that God is not infatuated with you. He is deeply in love with you. I just sense this morning as I prayed and preparing for today that we may have heard this so many times, but that you would be reminded of that fact, not based on an emotion this morning. It's a fact that God loves you and cares for you and wants his very best for you. And so we have taken this tour through 1 John. As we come to chapter 4 today, we continue this theme of intimate fellowship with God. That's what we've been talking about. First John's communicated that to us. He wants us to know this, that we have a Father in heaven that wants to have intimate fellowship with you and with me. And he also wants that back, that we would want to have fellowship uh, with him. But he comes to chapter 4, and he comes and he says in this, John's first concern is that we might not be deceived. He comes, he jumps right in. Why is he concerned about deception? Well, we know that God wants us to abide in his love. We've said that, that we would hang out in his love, that we would stay tied in to his love. And that is intimate fellowship with him. But he knows the evil one wants to remove us from that love. That is the, the goal of the enemy, to remove us from the love of God, not in terms of a formal relationship, but in terms of an intimate relationship with the Father. It's a fact rather than an experience. But verse 1, he starts off by saying, be loved. Can you say that? Be loved. It's an affectionate expression. And if we're going to remain in his love, we understand the Father's heart towards us. What he wants us to do is understand we must be careful to distinguish truth from error. Verse 1, be loved. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Don't believe every spirit. That's, that's what he's saying. And he brings up the, the title of prophet here, that prophets are a spokesperson for God. This does not mean every prophet is bad, but he's making a distinguishment here. He's distinguishing somebody that is speaking truth to somebody that is speaking error. There are many people that use God's name, giving the impression they're speaking from the spiritual realm, trying to remove you from the experience of God's love. And he wants you to understand this. He wants you to understand and distinguish that. Do and how do you know something is a spirit? Well, you and I can't see a spirit. You can't touch a spirit. So how do we measure it? If the word of God is used his name or reference of his person, then you automatically know that you are in a spiritual discussion. That's a very easy clarification, clarifier, that God is spirit. How many of you know that? The Holy Spirit is the internal authenticator of truth in our lives. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, is the internal, internal authenticator of truth. The Bible is the objective external authentication of truth. So we have to understand that that is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So how do you know? The Spirit of God lives in every believer. At the moment that you came to Christ, the Holy Spirit came and comes and dwells in you and always attests to the truth. You never have to wonder 
whether the Holy Spirit of God is attesting to the truth. It is who he is and his character, his nature as a person in the work of the Holy Spirit. He always attests to the truth. And so as we look at this, um, we can do this by testing the Spirit, whether while watching TV, whether we're listening to the radio, whether we're hearing somebody else communicate at work, home or in our in, in our campuses at school that we need to be able to test the spirit we need to test it testing the spirit because remember satan is an angel of light and he can come looking like the real thing how many know the bible says that he is an angel of light and he can come looking like the real thing that's why we need to be able to test the spirit and he tells us you need to do this in your life. So you're just not believing everything that you hear and taking it in, but you test it to see whether it's truth or a lie. You know, a group of first graders, they were touring a hospital, and they asked the nurse, why do you wash your hands all the time? I mean, we see the doctors and the nurses regularly doing this. She said, it's very simple. We wash our hands all the time because we love health and hate germs. We must live life in the spirit because he is a spirit of truth and hates error and his job is to authenticate what is in the word of God. If you have seen war movies or spy movies, you, you've seen people injected with what, what is called sodium pentothal, better known as truth serum. I mean, you ever watched a spy movie, war movie, you know, you've seen it. Hopefully none of you have been injected with that. But it's designed to force the person to tell the truth. God has injected every believer with the truth of the Holy Spirit. And if you have truly placed faith in Christ alone as your Savior, he's the one that makes you feel uncomfortable when you hear something that is not truth. He is the one that, however you want to do it, you feel something in your gut, your heart, your mind, whatever it may be, that you think, hmm, I'm not sure whether that's truth or not. And that's not always meaning that you come and have a suspicious mind. That is not what I'm talking about here. Many people do come to the subject of God, and they start off with a suspicious mind right away for whatever reason, for many reasons, and that does happen. We understand that, but we're talking, and he's saying here, you need to be able to discern the spirit, what is going on, and the way that we discern is through a renewed mind. Suspicion, if you all you have is a spirit and a heart of suspicion, that is an unrenewed mind. How many of you are with me? Say Yes. So a renewed mind brings forth discernment. We renew our mind through the work of the God's Spirit, through reading of the Word of the Lord. It's not saying everything starts off with suspicion, but in Christ it comes through discernment. Is this right or is this wrong in being able to test it and be able to distinguish the difference between a truth and a lie in the spiritual realm? Matthew chapter 7, I'm not going to go in to read it, verses 16 through 20. Jesus is arguing against the leaders of his day and says, and you shall know them by their what? Fruits. That's right. Fruits. He describes fruit as two things. What a person says and what a person produces. What a person says is fruit. What a person produces is fruit. That's absolutely true because if it's an apple tree, you know, it's going to produce apples, right? It's going to eventually produce that which is inside of it because a root produces fruit. 
The context is very interesting. You remember Hebrews 13 says, to be hospitable to strangers. You ever read that in the Bible? That's there, right? And for, for you may entertain angels without being aware. Think of how many times we've entertained somebody that's been an angel, because the Bible says it happens. How many times in our life have we entertained an angel unaware? It's amazing, right? It's incredible. In other words, one of the ways that God speaks to you is through messengers. Angelos, angels, means messenger. Human beings speak God's truth to you. They can come as messengers to your life. It can come from one believer to another believer. God allows regular messengers into your life as well. He says don't reject it automatically because it could be sent from God. So you must test it whether it is God saying it. And you know what? It could be an answer to your prayer. So don't reject the messenger, right? It doesn't always come packaged. How many of you realize in your life, it doesn't always come packaged how you think it's going to come? I realized that in my own life. Like, oh, I think that message is going to come this way, where God has sent a messenger this way, whatever it may be, a person, somebody on the radio, TV, pricks your heart, whatever. It may be a situation, somebody didn't even say something to you, but it is a message to you, and we need to be able to discern that. The question is, how do we test, excuse me, the spirit to see if it's from God? In duck hunting, they use decoys. Those of you duck hunters, they've gotten really good at this. These decoys quack like ducks. They look like ducks. They act like ducks. You will think that they are ducks. It's amazing. God says there are many roving decoys out there in your life, and their job is to keep you from experiencing God in his truth. Because we've said in this series, and we know through God's word, God will only bless the truth. Isn't that right? He will only bless that. So we must be sensitive to truth, so we must evaluate the spirit. That is what's behind the word. What is behind it? If you're injected with the wrong medicine, you will get sick. Many have been injected with false doctrine, injected with popular culture, and they think it's of God. Now, I'm not saying it's not of God, but I'm saying, hey, listen, I know false doctrine's not of God, that's for sure. But God can send many different messengers along your pathway. So instead of just drinking it all in and just saying, oh, yeah, well, that must be from God, that raises a very important question. How do I test the Spirit? Go with me to verse 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is already in the world. The way that you know that something is founded on legitimacy is its confession about Jesus Christ. This is the clarification. This is the qualifier. What is that person's situation saying about Jesus? Now, we've said confess means to agree with or to say the same thing. It doesn't say everybody who confesses Jesus is okay, does it? No. It is every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Having respect for Jesus is not enough. How many of you know that? There's a lot of people that just respect Jesus as a man. It's more than just holding him in high esteem, that's for sure. Jesus went to his disciples one day and asked, who do people say that I am? Remember this story? Who do people say that I am? His disciples are there, and the disciples said, well, Jesus, they're fairly complimentary. I'm going to let you know that. They let you hang out with John the Baptist and Elijah and Jeremiah. 
and, and you are high up there in people's mind. Then Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Are you saying anything different than what everyone else is saying that is out there? Peter spoke up in this moment and said, yes, you are Christ, the son of the living God. If someone has told you that Christ is not the Christ, the son of the living God, whoever told you who he is has insulted him. It's like someone asking, hey, who's your wife? And you say, it's some woman I know. Mm, that's going to be bad news. And she's a nice lady, too. That's another black eye waiting to happen, okay? I don't think that's what she wants to hear because you have not placed her in the position that she holds in the office that she has. To believe that Jesus is the Christ is to believe that a man establishes a relationship with God and that man is born of God. Salvation is found in no other name but the name of who? Jesus, that's right, but the name of Jesus. When, when people come with another way of salvation other than Jesus Christ, they are resting on a faulty foundation, and that means the rest of their house is in trouble. How many of you are with me? The Bible says that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He is the chief. Any builder in this room, you've been through a building, you've built your house, you've built a building, whatever it may be, you understand it is the chief spot that is brought out, that is laid so that the rest of the structure will be built right. You understand that. And, and the Bible says that many people have tripped over Jesus because they just couldn't get through it. Oh yeah, he's a nice man but they never saw him as the chief cornerstone in their heart, in their life. So the rest of their house is built uneven and it will crumble. It's not Jesus in your good works. It's not Jesus in my membership at this church or another church. It's Jesus Christ and faith in him alone, right? That's true. So here's a great clarification question. I just want to encourage you and if you haven't thought of this, you'd write it down. But when somebody comes and talks to you about their God, whether it's big G or small g, you know how to ask them an appropriate question. That is, how do I get to heaven? How do I get to heaven based on what you're telling me if you want to know about who they serve? How do I get into heaven according to what you believe? I think that's a great clarification that we understand this, that Jesus is one of a kind. We sang this morning about he is without rival. How many of you know we serve a God that is without rival? Can I hear an amen? That, that nobody can compete with our God ever, never, for sure. Now listen, he's such a one of a kind that he is limited because he's a man, but he's limitless because he is the son of God. He is limited because he died, but he's eternal because he's God. His mother fed him from her breast, but he created her because he's God. Remember, we see that Jesus got hungry. He ate fish, but he's also the one that created the ocean that they live in. No other name belongs in the same sentence as Jesus. Anything that diminishes Jesus Christ is the wrong spirit. See, we need to be ready for this, 
not only today, but in the days ahead, and I'm sure you've understood this in your past in Christ Jesus, that you understand, excuse me, that, that anything that diminishes Jesus Christ is the wrong spirit. And we need to be able to know what that means. You can't be for Jesus and fill in the blank. No, this is Jesus. Whatever is over here needs to be thrown out. You know, you can't say, well, I'm for Jesus, but I'm also for my way. I'm for Jesus, but I'm also for the way I want to do things, the way I want to live in my plan. No, no, this is Jesus's plan from the beginning, and it's him or nothing. Amen? You can't be for both. The funnel begins to be narrowed to who Jesus is, we see. When people come knocking on your door, whether they're dressed in a suit, tie, whatever it may be, I'm going to encourage you, be nice to them and love them with Christ-like love, but it's a good idea to say, tell me about Jesus Christ. See, that's a great clarification question. If they're going to add Jesus and something else for you to get to heaven, that is the wrong spirit. It could happen on the radio, TV, home, school, wherever it may be. That's a great question to ask in love. Tell me about Jesus Christ. And if they do anything to diminish Jesus, it's the wrong spirit. So notice verses four through six. Notice verse four, it uses the word you. Verse five, they. Verse six, we. You are the believers. They are false prophets and we are the sent ones. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because he who abides in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Here is what this is saying, because we've probably quoted this a lot. I know that I have. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If you go back and you dial back into this context in this text, what he is saying here is this, greater is the Holy Spirit that is in you, the spirit of truth that is in you, greater is the spirit that is in you than the spirit that is in them. The truth in you is greater than the lie that is in them. See the clarification of that? Greater is the work of the Spirit in you than the lie that is in them. See, we don't understand our anointing and where to stand many times. Well, this is where it comes in Christ. This is it. We stand upon the chief cornerstone. We stand upon that foundation and we work out from there. That these are great clarifiers when we're talking to people in a world that is diminishing Jesus Christ and the work and the power of who he is because they're mixing it with all other kinds of things. The truth in you is greater than the lie in them. The pressure on the inside of you through the work of the Spirit is greater than the pressure on the outside of you. When you go in the world, you and I are going to be under great pressure. That's true. That's the nature of the world we live in. But greater is the pressure that's inside of you than is outside of you. See, isn't that a beautiful thing to know that? That you can move out with confidence today that the work of God's Spirit is greater than the lie that is out there? Yes, it helps us know. That's why when Moses threw down his staff, you see that his, the, the staff turned to a snake. Remember that in the Old Testament? And what took place in that moment? Well, Moses' snake ate their snake. How many of you get me? 
See, see, the pressure inside is greater than the pressure that is outside. I remember Elijah, the prophets of Baal, 1 Kings chapter 18. We see in that moment where he called down fire, whose God is really God in this moment, that you realize Elijah knew in this moment that the pressure inside of me is greater than the pressure that is outside of me. And when I call down fire on this, you can pour as much water as you want on it, but God is going to come and lick this thing up, and it is going to be quickened and gone. See, we need to realize that the power and the strength that is in us is greater than the lie and the destructive work of the devourer that is outside in the world. Amen? You can move forward with confidence today knowing that. So it's important that we need the equipment of the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit to operate in that realm. Don't let deceivers take you from the love of God. This is John saying, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I want to go into five points here today. What does God's kind of love look like? What does God's kind of love look like as we look in 1 John chapter 4? Well, the first one is the, that kind of love is a love that is God's kind of love is, number one, visible. Can you say visible? Visible manifested. We've said this, for something to be manifested means it's come to the light. To be manifested is to be seen. Invisible love is not love at all, never. Are you with me? Say yes. See, see, invisible love, that's not love. Well, I told you that I loved you 40 years ago. Didn't you know that I still love you? No, that's not enough. It's got to not only be spoken, it's got to be visible. It's manifested by the things that we not only say, but the things that we do, and we know that. Biblical love is love that is seen. That's what he's saying. It's visible. Love's of God. If you're born of that, you're going to be visibly loving other people. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son to the world, that we might live through him. So God's love is not only visible, number two, it's decisive. Can you say that with me? Decisive. God sent his son. It was an intentional act on his part. You know, some people say, well, I fell in love. Like somebody tripped you into doing it? I mean, mean, how did that happen? Biblical love involves the will. It's, it's a choice to act on the needs of others. God sent his son. Many people aren't loving because they don't have this feeling yet. That's a wrong way to operate in our lives, isn't it? That it's not based on feelings. Many, you know, so many people are waiting for the feeling to arrive and it never comes. Well, it's not based on that first. I'm not saying you have to detach your emotions from it. That's not healthy. But what I am saying is it's decisive It's a part of your will first, and that's the way it was for God, and we are created in his image to do the same. Number three, love is sacrificial. Can you say that? Sacrificial. It cost him his life to love. Begotten in here means it's unique. It's a -a one-of-a-kind life. God sent his unique son. In other words, when God decided to save you and me, he didn't look for leftovers around heaven and throw that at us. Aren't you thankful for that? Oh, man, I'll just take one of you angels over here and hopefully you can go down there and do a good job. He sent his best. It was sacrificial that he gave his only begotten son that was very unique. Why? He gave up himself in order to address our needs. It's sacrificial. 
The need is life. That's what it says in verse 9. You and I needed life. He says, I'm going to give you Jesus because in him was the life and the light of men. He said, I'll give you that. That way we might have life through who he is. So love is sacrificial. Our need for life produced death in him because he loved us. That love has a price tag, even though Jennifer Lopez says love don't cost a thing. See, I think you may think this is kind of crazy, but I think you can listen to things on radio and sometimes we can just drink that in and just sing it and go along with it. Well, let me tell you something. Love has a price tag. Number four, love is purposeful. Can you say purposeful? Thank you. That we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It has a purpose in mind. It has a goal in mind. God's love always has a goal. The purpose was to give life, to get rid of sin. That's why, I'm just not going to send Jesus for nothing. I hope you all get this. No, I'm coming because you have sin and you need to get rid of it and you need life. Number five, it tells us something else. It's judicial. Can you say judicial? It makes judgment calls. Love didn't skip sin, it addressed sin. How many of you are thankful for that? Like God didn't send his son to the earth and say, oh man, I'm going to send my son. But you know what? Inside of it, I'm going to have skip sin. I'm just going to skip over it. No, God's love was sent through Jesus that he would address the sin of our hearts and the sin in our lives. So it's sacrificial, it's judicial, it's purposeful, it's powerful. So listen, if you see me going down the wrong road or you see me going down you know, a path I shouldn't be on, I know you love me because you're going to try to stop me from continuing to go down that road. Jesus Christ's love went straight to sin. It was judicial and it made a judgment call. The Bible says if you see a brother or sister caught in sin, caught in sin, they are stuck, they are ensnared in the sin and they can't get out, you go over and help them get out. Believer in Christ, you go over and help them get out. Get, help them get out of the quicksand. And he says, you do it with meekness. Now, this is according to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, that inside of there, your translation may, may say, restore them gently. You don't, don't be arrogantly saying, thinking you can do better, but you go in a humble heart, in a, in, a, in a humble spirit and say, brother or sister, I see that you were caught in this. But it's in that moment you say, it's not in that moment that you're going, hey, I see you in the quicksand and um, wow, you're stuck. That's really too bad. And um, boy, you know, how did you get there? You're a terrible person, by the way. And um, wow, you know, that's not what it calls us to do. They're, they're, they're stuck in this. They're ensnared. You know, most people, you know, they realize that point. They don't need a lecture. They need the love of God. Right? Now, let me go on and say this. It's in that moment you see that they're stuck. Well, what are we supposed to do? Well, it's not the point to give them the lecture. It's the point to take the limb out and say, or whatever, or the rope, and you throw it to them, and you say, hey, I'm going to help you because I see that you're stuck. And you got to be careful as well how close you get to sin as well. When people get close to it, they can get entrapped in it themselves. Right? So you throw it to them, you say, hey, I'm going to help pull you in here, and I'm going to get you in here, and we're going to pull you in and get you on firm foundation first, then I'm going to address the things that are going on in your life. Most of the time, they don't need a lecture at that moment. 
what they're needing is the love of God just extended to them to help them get out of the mire and the muck that they are in and then help restore them. They'll probably be a little better to hear you as well in that. So it's really important. Um, do you know that as we realize this, that God loved you and me before we even responded? While we were running from God, he's chasing us. He loved me at my worst, and he rejected me. And, and, and I rejected him, excuse me, but he came after me. Do you know most people you witness to probably won't respond to Jesus, but Jesus still paid the price for them? Love, love is risky business, isn't it? Love is risky. But see, this is the watershed issue as you look through the New Testament, you look through the Word of God. What is the key? Faith in Christ, love for the brethren. This is what he's talking about in this. Faith in Christ, love for the brethren, those are keys. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, verse 11. What is he saying? Well, you ought to, you ought to love out of appreciation that you are no longer trapped and ensnared, but that you and I have been redeemed and we have been set free from the trap that the enemy has set for us, that we, are, we realize that and we are thankful. Like today in worship, I'm just thanking God amongst the many things, things that come to my mind of how he's redeemed me and how he set me free and he loves me as his child and, and, and just those things that I'm sure many of you spoke out in this time of worship and our, our hearts and adoration together. He's saying in this verse, you ought to just love out of appreciation. You ought to love and never forget where you've come from. 12 and 13 tells us how God's love's enhanced when we love other people. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. No one has seen God at any time. If somebody says they've seen God, they're a liar. Some, I got some of your attention now. Nobody's seen God at any time. No one has seen God at any time. That's what it says. You can't show me the wind, but you can show me the effect of the wind. We shouldn't be upset that we can't see God. I'm sure there's been times in our Christian walk we've said, wow, I'd love to see what God looks like. I think we've probably all said that. But we shouldn't be perpetually upset that we can't see God. Right? So how do, what's the clarifier of that? If you want to see God, find somebody to love. See, there's a faith, there's a trust walk there that if you want, if you want to see God, you've got to find somebody to love. So many are into me, myself, and I that we only see God in me and not through me. Perfected means it's accomplishing its goal. It's going after what it's been called to do. That's what it means to be perfected. The Spirit's job, the Holy Spirit's job, is to make real in you the reality of God. That's one of the many jobs. We should be talking about God's fresh experience in this season of our life, as difficult maybe things are, but if all you're talking about is last year's fresh experience, you need a fresh revelation of Jesus in this season of your life. How many of you agree with that? Amen? That we would receive a fresh experience. That's what keeps driving us deeper and wanting more and hunger. So that he goes on. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as a savior of the world. Whoever confesses 
that Jesus is the Son of God, abides in him, and then he in God. Savior means deliverer. God sent Jesus to deliver us from sin, Satan, and from death. Listen, when you die and I die, we won't be dead long enough to know that we have died. Are you with me? Because in that moment, the Bible says, Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with whom? The Lord. You won't be dead long enough to know that you and I died. We will go from this life to that perspective in heaven eternally. We may have closed our eyes in death, but we woke up seeing Jesus face to face. What a day that's going to be. What a day that's going to be. Man, don't ever forget that. That's yet to come. All right, because y'all got a pulse, so we're here together today. That's good. So the other thing is you need to realize you are going to be the only one not at your funeral. Some of you just got a revelation. Oh, you may be in the casket in front of us. I may be in the casket in front of you. But let me tell you something. You will be the only one not at your funeral. You're gone. You're, you're in heaven. You're rejoicing while people are mourning and weeping and, and crying. And just for the record, my, now my wife knows this. I mean, don't funeralize me when I go. Oh, I know there's going to be tears. I know that's naive. Just, but listen. Don't funeralize me. Celebrate what God has done. Come on. That this isn't the end. You and I wake up in the presence of the Lord and we see him face to face and we would never want to come back to this earth because it's that great. The same way that he delivered us, he wants us to be a deliverer for somebody else. See, we are in the equation right with God on this. He's working in tandem with us. And we have known, verse 16, and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Regularly seek opportunities to hang out in God's love. And here's the question, because we're going to end with prayer today. We're going to do this a little different. We're going to ask, I'm going to ask people for needs that you may have right where you're sitting today and raise your hand. And we're going to do body ministry today where Jesus wasn't afraid to come out and just touch people. They had a need. Praying for other people is not for the spiritually elite. It's body ministry. Though we are made up of spirit, we can impart spirits that are good and spirits that are bad. Okay? That's true. But we're going to end in prayer and we're going to have you touch one another and pray because there's needs here. But here is something I want to ask you. Have you asked God today who is sitting in this church that has a need that I can address? See, many times we can come into the doors of the church. I warmed the seat, I gave in the offering, and I'm done. Check. No, that's not family ministry. That's not even godly. Who in this place has a need that you can be used of God to address? See, that's family. See, that's body ministry. That, that's more than just getting the cup of coffee, running to the bathroom, and coming back and getting your joy on. Amen? See, it's more than that. This is what John's pressing through, in through this. It's more than all that. You want to be shallow, you can be shallow. You want to be deep, God wants you deep. 
Next, he leads into what happens when Christian love dominates the community. He said, when love has come and permeated the community, verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. He says, if you want to have confidence in the day of trial, every one of us will stand trial. No, it won't be earthly. It's a heavenly trial. Every believer will have a day of judgment. It's called the Bema Seat. How many of you heard of that? The Bema Seat of Christ. You can look it up. It's in the Bible. There is a day, there's a judgment seat of Christ that is where you and I as believers are on trial. If you are not at the Bema Seat, you have missed heaven. If you did not go to the Bema Seat and stand before the Lord in judgment and you give an account for what you did upon this earth, every believer that's already passed on, is yet to pass on, will stand before God in the Bema seat, in in the judgment seat of Christ. If anybody missed that, then what happens is because they didn't live a life that they rebelled against God, they were lawless to the day they died and never confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, he said they will go to the white throne judgment. That's in the Bible as well. You can look at that. He said you go to the white throne judgment at that point, they will give an account for their entire life. But listen, inside of them, There is no grace at that moment. They have chosen what they desire to do upon the earth and live for themselves and in sin. And the Bible says they will be cast to the lake of fire. I don't know about you, but I'm going to make the Bema seat. Where you stand and give an account with all of our imperfections. If you're new here today, welcome to the church that is full of imperfections. Because we haven't arrived yet. But that we will stand before him. If the record shows you were a loving believer, permeated with love, you will be able to stand. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. That's in the scripture. That's the premium God puts on love in the family. That's a premium. He said, so there is no fear in love, verse 18, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. Your scripture may say judgment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. If you live a life of fear, you don't understand how much you have been loved. You don't understand it. If you say that I'm afraid to die, then you need to be perfected in love. Now, I don't know about you, and I was a lot younger than what I am. I used to fear death a whole lot more than I do now. And just not understanding it and amongst the many things, and it doesn't mean now I do understand it. There's a whole other realm of heaven. I mean, in death and dying, we will never understand this side of heaven. But that I realized now where I'm at is I've had to let go of this life a little bit more the older I get. Because I realize John Miller's not in control anyways. True. And neither are you. He said, listen, if you have so much fear, you have fear day in and day out. He says, Your love, my love's not perfected in you. Love removes all kinds of fear. What fear do you have today? Because he says, my love can remove it. Because he says, you're secure in my love. Verse 19 through 21, we love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? And this 
commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. To sum up what any church should be in the world, no matter what size they are, there should be two things. Number one, at Abundant Life Church, our confession of faith in Christ Jesus alone. Number one, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's faith alone and Christ alone. Number two, wow, how they loved one another. He's talking to the brother. This is what was said in the book of Acts. I mean, we're, we're supposed to be followers of that, that early church. Wow, how they loved one another in spite of their opinions and differences and all of that. Wow, that church, that church really loved one another. They really cared for one another. They understood what it means to be in the family of God. They understood as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is more than just warming the seat on Sunday morning and giving money in the offering. As great as that is, that's not the full perspective of our lives in Christ. But wow, faith alone and Christ alone. And man, that church really loved one another. Wow, I want that. And I believe that's happening here at Abundant Life Church. I really do. And that we would continue to be on that journey. See, that's confession and love together. A couple months ago, I went to the mall, our mall right here, Apple Blossom. And I went in the door of the food court. And as I was making my way into the food court, I passed Cinnabon. And as I passed Cinnabon, I breathed in. And I did keep walking that day. And I walked just a little bit further until I couldn't stand it any longer. Oh, come on, you've done the same thing. Even some of you and your dieting plans walked back to Cinnabon. But I did a U-turn that day, and I made my way back to Cinnabon. I said, hit me up for 12 of those right now. (laughs) Because why? That thing permeated me so much, i got to have some of it. See, that's the way the church should be. They may walk by us. They may pass by us. They may come in the doors of this church, people that don't know anything about us. They're just checking us out. They're going to see whether you're the real deal. Is this church the real deal? You guys think you have it all together? Because I'm telling you, as a pastor of the church, I don't have it all together. You guys think you're, we don't have arrogance here. We don't have a monopoly on God. We don't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. We are seekers together of the way. That's another Acts term, the way. People on the way people on the journey of faith and they're saying man there's something different about them they come in hit me up for some of that they may not even know what that all means at the beginning but as God's love permeates them through you sir through you ma'am through you young person God will change their heart and transform them when they breathe in and like wow the love of God I don't know what is all going on there but let me tell you something I got to have some of that That's wonderful. Somebody told me today, well, you know, we've invited a couple to our small group and they're coming. They haven't yet come to the church, but they're in our group. I said, that's wonderful. That's great. That's where it starts. I'm okay that people don't come in this church first. I would like them to, but they're seeing, they're testing whether you're authentic or not. They're saying a little bit, they may back off. They may come a little bit. But after a while, the love of God will permeate them so deeply, they'll be changed. I don't even have to second guess it. I don't even have to manufacture it. Because why? This is just who we are. It's permeated me. And now it's permeating others. Amen? 
So today, I want you, I want you to see this. We want to help people that they would take a whiff and say, wow, that smells amazing. They reverse their direction and they come to Jesus Christ because they've seen and they felt his love from who we are as a family of God.